Hello all, this is Artie Kulik, the host of the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, the podcast for SeedSing.com. And with me today is, I just could not deal with the greatness on the other side of the Mississippi River, so I'm going to have to go with the greatness of the Buckeye State. And that's the other, other greatest host, Tina. How are you today, Tina? I am very well, thank you. So you're here, which means we're going to talk about the NBA Finals. I think I pull that same joke every year. I think you do. <laughs> Who's like, winning? I it's tied. Nothing, nothing. Yes. Well, one, one. <laughs> <laughs> which that was, uh, what was it? I don't even know who's in it. Uh, the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics. So speaking of uh, which, who's winning, the uh, I saw this the other day. It's uh, We're recording this a little bit earlier than normal, but I think it was January 5th. That uh, or June fifth. I'm sorry, June fifth is the anniversary of Ferris Bueller taking his day off, and the reason <laughs> they know that is because that Cubs game he is at. Somebody looked that season, that game who they were playing, and that was the date of it. So, just for you kids out there, that it's means kind of late in the spring to be taking was, a day off. All right, I know you figure not too much school then anyway. So we're here to talk about a Le France Open, or is it France Le Open? Lopin. I feel like I shouldn't dignify this. Are you going to say Jamal Pelkabi again? <laughs> yep, yep, that's right. Because I took three years of French, and that's what I know. No, the French Open, which— uh, Your French teacher should be ashamed. Yeah, they all should be ashamed. Not just them. They should be ashamed for a lot of things, but this is a family-friendly <laughs> podcast, so yep. I'm not going to talk about that. No, so yes, the French Open, and we're going to start the first half, talk about the tournament itself. We'll talk about some of the other things surrounding it, future stuff, all that other things in the second half here. But let's get right to it, and you're going to yell at me because you said we've already talked about this before, but the woman, the uh, Iga Swantek? Swantek. 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 Don't— don't Polish move away heritage? from the microphone. Is she Pole? Yes. Oh, all right. Good for her. She's the first Polish Grand Slam winner, and this was not her first Grand Slam. So, yes, we have talked about her before. <laughs> yeah. Look, and let's let's talk about on her way here. I think she dropped one set the entire tournament. Yeah, which is one more than she dropped the first time she right. won Roland Garros. Right. So she's and coming into the season, she's won like a hundred something odd matches in a row or something. No, this was her thirty fifth. Oh, okay, row. okay. See, I'm way off, but kind of a no doubt. A hundred days. She hadn't lost a match in a hundred something days. That's maybe that's where I got the hundred days. And I know I got some gruff from you, but I said like after the first few days that like nine out of the top ten were out. I do think by the second week, nine of the top ten women were out of the tournament. <laughs> yeah, I do think they were. Yeah. So, I mean, just kind of uh, overhead view of it. Is this a I remember when we were growing up, uh, who was it? Uh, some, it was three name lady. And I want to say Arantxa she's Sanchez. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. She was Spanish. Didn't she win like some French opens and that's it? Sanchez Vicario? I, yeah. I mean, she was at the top of the game for a while. Okay. I, Are you thinking of like Guga Kerton? Well, I was about to say, I knew there was a. a There's lots of men who have. So is this a situation where Shawant Shawantek? Don't don't move away from the microphone. You're talking to the microphone. Shwiantek. Shwiantek. Is she really good or is she just good on clay? She's really good. Okay. So I mean, I don't necessarily expect her to make the transition to grass just yet. I mean, she's barely twenty one. But I mean, she started this win streak. I mean, we should probably go back to, to March, right? Mm -hmm. When the big bombshell came in women's tennis. Which is? Which is that reigning number one, Miss Ashley Barty, retired at the ripe old age of 26 or so. Yeah, and she had just, 
She just won Australia. Did she win the U.S. Open? She won Wimbledon last okay, year. Okay, that was it. Yeah, so you know, ha- has a few under her belt, and, and then, she won the French Open a few years before that. So, and why did she say she retired? I don't know that she really said so much why she retired, but you get the impression that Ash Barty loves playing tennis, but doesn't necessarily love being a professional tennis player. And those are two different things. I mean, being a professional tennis player, especially if you're an Aussie, requires being away from home for long, long stretches of time, especially if you're an Aussie during COVID protocols is, I think, probably particularly taxing because you have to quarantine, I think, for two weeks every time you go back to the country. And this is the second time she retired. So, I mean... You know, and she's only mid-20s. So I sometimes, you know, just doesn't, the lifestyle just doesn't agree with you. She won the Australian Open, first Aussie to do so in a long time. People should follow their passion. And I want to talk a little bit more about that in the second half. I just want to cover the tournament here. But anyway, so that happened back in March. And she hadn't really played since the Australian Open. And March is, is when the... Tennis season really kicks into full swing after the Australian Open. That when you get the what's referred to as a sunshine double, which is two 1,000 level tournaments back to back. They're combined men's and women's events. You have Indian Wells and Palm Springs, and then Miami the next week. Not that many women have won them both in the same year. Iga Shriantek did. So basically, when Barty retired, Shriantek became number one because she was number two. Before that. So, I mean, it's not like she was an unknown before that, right? She was a number two ranked player in the world at the time. And it almost felt like she was like, this isn't how I wanted to get to number one, but I'm going to show everybody, no, I am this good. And yeah, I went on a tear, won uh, Indian Wells, won Miami, and then uh, the clay court season starts after that. And she, I don't think she played Madrid uh, she came out, she played and won the title in Rome. I think she won the title in Stuttgart, got herself a Porsche for for her trouble, because that's that's what you get when you win so, in Stuttgart. So you, you get a Porsche for some more lower-level tournament. It's a 500-level tournament. And, and you get a plate for the higher-end <laughs> Which is a okay. right. Grand Slam is effectively yeah. a 2,000-level. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> I think you get a much bigger check. Uh, well, okay. Which will probably <laughs> buy you a few Porsches. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that was the the big story coming in, is that coming into Roland Garros, she was on a 28-match win streak, I think, and won seven more. Now, the other player that was on a hot streak coming in is Onjabur. Who, she's the uh, first— Tunisian. Yeah, so the first Arab player to win— The a, first Arab woman to be in the top ten. Okay, that was it, yeah. Yeah, and she won, I think, was the second title of her career in Madrid, which is a, a 1,000. I mean, that's a big deal tournament. And then made it all the way to the finals at Rome and lost to Shriantec. So she had <laughs> put together quite the little match win streak herself. And I know uh, coming up to it, they were saying, like, she's maybe the only one that Well, people were challenge. expecting, yeah. you know, based on what had happened, you know, in the preceding couple of months. And Jabir had been playing very good tennis. People were kind of expecting the the two of them to to meet. I think they were on opposite halves of the draw, so I think people were kind of expecting them to meet in the final. The French Open is weird in terms of slams. Most of them start on a Monday. The French Open always has a few matches played on the the Sunday, um, and Jabir lost on Sunday, which made it feel like she almost 
lost almost before the tournament started. It was kind of kind of strange timing. And it was that when you were telling me about all of these top 10 players going out, the only one I was looking at the draw and saying, oh, yeah, that's a surprise was Jabur. Because the rest of them, yes, they're ranked in the top 10, but it's players like Muguruza, right? Muguruza can play extremely well. She's won two slams and gotten to the final of another, but it doesn't also shock me if he goes out early in a tournament. I think Danielle Collins was one of them. The one that really shocked me was Owen Shabur going out as fast as she did. Well, let's talk about who was the runner-up. So it, compared to like men's tennis, which it's all these dinosaurs that keep winning. There's been a bunch of teenagers in Grand Slam finals Right, recently. and this, yeah. uh, you know, an American, Coco Golf. Mm-hmm. Was this her first final? Her first final. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I was joking about I've heard her name for a while, but I've probably only heard it the last few years. And be- she was... It's because when she was 15, she made the fourth round at Wimbledon as a 15-year-old, which is why it feels like she's been around for a long time. So uh, she made a run. She's only 18. Yeah, made it to the final and was annihilated. Not only made it to the singles (laughs) final, also made it to the doubles final with Jess Pagula. So had, I mean, felt kind of bad for Coco because she got two runner-up plates in one weekend. Um, (laughs) But you know what? Better to get two runner-up plates than no plates at all, right? But is this a mark of something? And, and by the come... way, you don't get a plate for winning Roland Garros. You do get a, a cup. Okay. I, some of it's them are only, pl- It's only Wimbledon that gives you a plate. Okay. The rest of them give you those ugly right. ass cups. Yeah. And, and the Which, men, and really the men get a cup as... at Wimbledon too. They, uh, you know, oh, okay. the women just get a plate. Well, a plate seems actually more useful because. It really does. I, yeah. I don't disagree. You could, you know, put out a cheese platter. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think these are like cups that we're talking about. It's like sports cup and they're not like, you know. Covering your balls, Although, but you remember last year, they because they give you a smaller replica, right? They, mm-hmm. you know, Alfie Hewitt drank a beer out of yeah. his. Remember? So, yeah, so. I, guess. <laughs> I guess before we uh, move over to the men, what other highlights were there from this particular tournament in the women's side? So yeah, American women had a pretty good tournament. Uh, Coco made the final. Her doubles partner Jess Pagula made made the quarters. I think got mowed down by Shriantek. Had the honor of getting mowed down by Shriantek. Uh Sloan Stevens, I think, also made either the fourth round or the quarters. So, you know, it was pretty good, pretty good tournament for American women in general. Also, just wanted to mention Iga Shriantek graph-like in her dominance over, over these last couple of couple of months. She did lose a set here to a young Chinese player named Zhang Chinwen, who's uh who's a young player and who people have compared to Andreescu in terms of into like to like 2019 Andreescu in terms of her confidence which I appreciate <laughs> and she went out there and took a set off of Iga Shriantek. but no generally speaking these these two weeks have been you know I, I just want to talk about Iga Shriantek a little bit right so okay. so she charmingly uh, when she won her first French Open was a year she graduated from high school. That was a year that the COVID year that they played it in the fall. And she had said that she was going to take two years and play professional tennis. And if it didn't work out, she was going to go to university. I guess it worked out. Seems to be working out for her, which is great. But winning the French Open in 2020 when nobody expects you to is one thing. But coming in on a 28-match win streak, newly crowned number one, and doing it again, I mean, there's no upside to winning almost, right? That's what people expect you to do. There's only downside. And she handled it gracefully and graciously. 
and executed. And when I say graph-like in her dominance, in every final she's played since 2018, she's won a number of titles since then. She hasn't given up more than five games in a final. I mean, games. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. it's it, Look, the thing we're seeing in a lot of sports, but we're seeing – you know, f- amazing feats nowadays. And it's uh, like we're we're going to move over to the men's game here, which is going to get a lot of attention. But I've argued since we've done this podcast, the women's game has been way more interesting to watch the last few years. Yeah. I mean, the interest in the men's game comes from, oh, my God, what am I seeing? Right. The interest in the women's game comes from, I don't know who's going to win this tournament. Now, Sometimes you ask me going into a tournament, is it this person or the field? I would have picked Fiontech over the field as a heavy favorite, even over the field, Um, just because she has shown that mentally she has. Because at that point, it's not forehands and backhands, right? It's it's you're winning those matches between the ears because you're executing. When I was younger, I was born in Minnesota and I have very vague, vague memories of my time living up there. But I have an aunt and uncle who they had a cabin that we'd always go to. And I remember my uncle would tell me that you got to watch out for left foot Louie because he he had his left foot eaten off by a, a fish in the pond when he was ice fishing one day. So he goes around, you know, trying to find little kids left feet. I'm they, trying to figure out where the story's going. So right foot Rafa, you know, he goes out there and basically he on one foot goes out there and murders everybody, including Novak Djokovic. Yeah. I guess my first question, and 22 Grand Slams, which again, we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means in the second half. Just want to talk about this particular tournament. But number one, are you surprised that of these 22, what, 14 of them, I think, are French Open? So, But it's still, it felt like you hear a lot of people talk about it, that it's a surprise he won this. That if this was the time to knock the giant off the mountaintop, This was it. This was the time to knock him off. Yeah. But on one foot, he went out there and and did it. And he compared to when I talk about the women, a lot of the quote unquote top women, even if you said you weren't surprised, they were knocked out. Rafael Nadal had to go through. This is the the future. He had to go through the present. And this is the first time ever in his career. He has played four top 10 opponents on his way to a Grand Slam title. And he won. And he won. And again, we're going to get into the talk, greatest ever and all that stuff in the second half, but just this in general. Is this, a, is this like you think, take this and the Australian Open, are these two of the most impressive titles he's won? Yes. And why would you say that? I mean, so the Australian Open title, again, nobody expected him to win that. You know, And you can say if Novak hadn't gotten deported, would he have still won? I don't know. But, you know, nobody knows the answer to that. Well, you but, can't but, hold that one in this one because he played Novak. But still, at the beginning of the Australian Open, even after Novak had been deported, nobody looked at that draw of 128 men and said, oh, Nadal's got this. Nobody thought. It was only his second Australian Open title. Yes. So I, I, we talked about that a few months ago, but it, it was it's pretty incredible that he's the one that, that came out and won that. This one. Now, Nadal has had an incredible year, right? He won his first tournament, the warm-up before the Australian Open tournament. He won that. He won the Australian Open. Came out, made the made the final at Indian Wells. Played a young Carlos Alcaraz in a windstorm in the semifinal, which is, I assume we'll talk about Carlos Alcaraz at some point. 
But I remember watching that match with my dad and the wind gusts were like 40 miles an hour. It was so windy. It was blowing the single sticks out of the net. I think experience won Nadal that match that he understood what to do in those conditions better than his young opponent. But he also managed to fracture a rib, probably trying to swing through 40 mile an hour wind gusts. And uh, and so he lost to Taylor Fritz in the final of Indian Wells and then pulled out of Miami because he had a stress fracture in a rib. So he didn't even get his full preparation, right? Didn't even come out and and play again, I think, until Rome. And young Mr. Alcaraz won Rome and beat Nadal in the quarters and Djokovic in the semis to get to the final in Rome and, and won that tournament. So here's the thing. You know, we talk about Alcaraz, and then there was the the other guy that his uncle Tony was coaching. That oh, he had. Felix. Yeah. Felix so, Ojale, so you had these younger guys, and then even the old young guys like Zverev rolled over. I, I think I read today he has has to have surgery that's going to keep him out a couple Doesn't of months. Surprise me. Yeah. yeah, it looked pretty bad. But you you had all that, but that's not who Nadal beat in the final. He beat. It was a Casper Rude. Casper Rude. Yeah. yeah. For- I mean, the, the match of that, the, the weird thing about this French Open, right, is you look at the men's draw, and the only person of note in the bottom half was Stefano Tsitsipas. And I guess Casper Rude, right? Uh, and Casper Rude was the eighth ranked player in the world, and he had mm-hmm. had a very good clay season coming into it, you know? So I, I don't think it was unexpected that he made it very deep into the tournament. But those were really the only two guys in the bottom half of the draw. The top half of the draw, you had Nadal, you had Djokovic, Nadal and Djokovic in the same quarter of yeah, the they draw. Yeah, the quarter, yeah. So you had Nadal and Djokovic in the same quarter, and then in the other quarter in the top half, you had Carlos Alcaraz and Alexander Zverev, both of whom have shown themselves to be phenomenal clay court players. Alcaraz, like I said, beat Nadal and Djokovic on his way to the Rome title. Alcaraz did not win Rome. He won Madrid mm-hmm. and won Nadal, beat Nadal and Djokovic to win Madrid. Djokovic actually won Rome after winning Madrid, after beating Nadal and Djokovic to, to win Madrid. Alcaraz did a little bit of a mic drop and said, I'm not playing Rome. So, so he didn't play Rome. Djokovic, uh, Djokovic won that tournament. So coming into the French Open, Rafa hadn't won a clay tournament at all because I think those were the only two he had played. But yeah, so so everybody had their eye on a potential Rafa Djokovic quarterfinal, which they got. Which they got. Rafa beat Felix Ojeda-Yassim in the fourth round. Ojeda-Yassim notably. Coached by Rafa's uncle, Tony, who also then told the press that he wasn't rooting for Felix. He was rooting for his nephew, which, I mean. That's bad business. I think so. <laughs> nobody would have nobody would have thought any less of him had he said no comment, mm-hmm. right? Anyway, so, yeah, we got the Rafa-Novak final in, or Rafa-Novak quarterfinal, and boy, did it live up to the hype. Nadal came out for a set and a half just blitzing. I mean, he went up, I think he won the first set 6-3 and then went up like 3-1 or maybe 3-love in the second set. I mean, just came out of the gate swinging. And you knew that he had to come off to a quick start, right? Because the conditions, they played that match at night. 
little bit controversial. It was cool. It was wet and really sweaty. And those conditions maybe favor Djokovic a little bit more than they favor Rafa. I think that Djokovic maybe doesn't love it, but the way he hits the ball, the way Rafa hits the ball, it leaps up off of the court and it doesn't do that as much when it's cold and wet like that. But yeah, no, he came out swinging for about a set and a half. Djokovic came back to level it. And then, I, I mean, I, I don't know how, but, you know, two more tight sets and Rafa won in four. And it certainly looked like it was going to five. I think I told you at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this thing's going to five because Djokovic was up 5-2 in the fourth set and was serving for it. Or no, he was up 5-2. Rafa was serving. Rafa got back to 5-3. And then Joker served at 5-3 for the for the set. And Rafa broke him right back and pushed it into a tiebreaker and won that fourth set in a tiebreaker. I mean, it was sort of epic and I'm sure kind of emotionally draining also. And then the semifinal he played with Zverev. That first set, again, sweaty, heavy. I mean, it was played under the roof because it was raining and it was just, it just looked gross, right? Like Rafa Nadal at one point was asking the umpire how often he can go off court to change his shorts. I mean, it just, just looked nasty. And that first set took an over an hour and a half and Nadal won that in a, in a tie break. And then the second set managed to get to six all after another hour and a half. So th- Three hours, they haven't even completed two sets. Zverev went down on his ankle pretty hard, and then they played it in slow-mo a few times. Jim Courier told me to look away if I didn't want to see it. and It looked bad. He collapsed, was screaming, ag- like agony and screaming in pain, taken off in a wheelchair, came back about 10 minutes later on crutches and shook Rafa's hand and shook the umpire's hand. And then, you know, Rafa, because he's a mensch, packed up Zverev's bag for him and took him off. <laughs> he's, he's that guy, right? <laughs> um, and I'm sure that's not how he wanted to win. I still don't think that Zverev was going to beat him, but Zverev was playing extraordinarily well during during that match and could have really pushed Rafa. And I'm sure given that he had already played three brutal hours in those conditions was probably not i mean i'm sure he didn't want to want it to end that way but it was probably not totally sad that he didn't have to play for like 5 hours or 6 hours in those conditions no and uh, we'll finish up this half here on this and then talk a little bit more about the other tennis on the men's side so Casper Ruud, I mean, I was just going through, and he had some four-setters. He had a five-setter in there. Mm-hmm. A guy I'd never heard of. doesn't mean he's not good. It's just yeah. I, obviously the first— first. I first no- heard of him a few years ago when he played Roger Federer, and they told me that Federer had played his dad. Oh, so— <laughs> Um, so that's the first Norwegian to make a Grand Slam final. I yep. remember I was I think you were here watching and I went to go exercise. And the only thing I remember seeing on one of the TVs is the king of Spain sitting next to the crown prince of Norway. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, a big deal. You know, yay for them. Good for them. Uh, all that other stuff. But 
it, it seemed to me he was in it a little bit. And then I think the second, I think he, he, he had a, well, he wasn't ever I think really it was the second it. set I saw, he got a break over Nadal yeah, to go up like so, three to one and then never won another. another yeah. Yeah. He game. lost the first set and then was up three one in the second set. And then Nadal won 11 games yeah, in a row yeah. to win the match. And, you know, here's the thing, right? Casper Ruud is a big fan of Nadal's. That's the problem, right? Well, that's, it's, yeah, that's exactly what you're getting into. I now. mean, it's like a rookie pitcher, right? Pitching to Barry Bonds, mm-hmm. right? I don't know about Barry Bonds, but well, somebody no, here more in lovable Cincinnati than when, pitching to Joey Votto. When the team cared and Nick Castellanos was on the team and got in some fight with the Cardinals and he and Yadier were in their face, he <laughs> right. still said, I'd still ask the guy for, for an autograph. autograph. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's, and, and Rude trains at the Rafael Nadal Academy in Barcelona. I don't know if it's in Barcelona. I think it's in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's actually on Mallorca. But anyway, he trains at the Rafael Nadal Academy. So, you know, he knows all those guys. <laughs> and so I'm sure there's there's an overwhelming moment for it. He was <laughs> he said something during his runner up speech, because, I mean, the more I think about it, the more it is a weird sport that makes people sit there after they've lost. You know, the winner at least gets to go hug their family. The loser just sits there on their bench alone. I mean, Coco Goff had Coco Goff had tears streaming down her face and not like distraught, but, you know, obviously disappointed. But anyway, so Rude, during his runner up speech, said something about Rafa, at least I'm not the first victim, <laughs> which is probably a, a healthy way to look at it. If you're him, nobody really thought he had a shot. Hello all, this is RD, and I want to take a minute here just to talk to you about how you can support this great podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, all the work we do on SeedSync.com, and especially all the hard work that Ty does bringing you the sports knowledge and the pop culture knowledge that you just so deeply want, and how you can support me bringing you all the political knowledge that you definitely do not want. We have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com and look up the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. And for just five bucks a month, guys, you are going to continue to be able to give you all this great content, give you the things that we are also craving that we know we need. And then in addition to that, we're going to be launching a Patreon-only podcast called the Ex-Millennial Man Political Report, where we're going to go through kind of more of a deep dive on my personal thoughts and other people's thoughts on what's going on politically around our country. That way we can keep the Ex-Millennial Man and as your place where you're going to go to find out all the most important things. Guys, we created this tie and I did because me being from Generation X and he being a millennial, honestly, I was tired of hearing about Citizen Kane's the greatest movie ever. It's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. But we kind of got tired of, wait, nothing since Citizen Kane can be better. I mean, come on. Back to the Future is way better. To some of us, Fast and the Furious movies are way better. This is a place where we can talk about that stuff and where you're going to get that, again, not opinion, true fact of what is the greatest ever when it comes to music, sports, politics, all that stuff is SeedSing.com and the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. So come on over to Patreon. Five bucks a month is all it is. And hey, if there's something more you need from that, come hit us up. Tell us. You need t-shirts. We can give you t-shirts. You need handshakes. Maybe we can give you that. But come on over to Patreon, the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, and now I'm going to get you back to the conversation. Okay, Tina, I wanted to just talk about 
other things surrounding tennis. But before I, I get to that, let's talk about because we spent all the time uh, around Nadal, rightfully so, obviously, because I'm going to have a the question. The man has won mm-hmm. as many French Open titles as Pete Sampras won slams. Yeah. I mean, he's also, but here's another We're stat running for out of ways to superlatize him. Did you know Nadal's won 14 more French Open titles than Sampras did? <laughs> he has. Yes, he has won 14 more <laughs> French Open titles than Sampras did. You are correct. So, any, But outside of that, because the men's game, I know you've talked a lot about this kind of lost generation of men. And then we had these supposed young guns who, I mean, some of them, I mean, Zverev's won a title, I believe. No, what was it Tsitsipas has won? Zverev served for the U.S. Open oh, that's final right. against that, Dominic Team. Yeah, so Team and Tsitsipas are the, the two that have won a title. Sitsabas hasn't won one. Who am I thinking? Medvedev. Medvedev. Okay, sorry. <laughs> they they all they're all the same to me. Yeah. Just a bunch of tennis players. No, but there's been a few, but there's only again, they all have one. So now you have I mean Medvedev in fairness has been in three finals. Yes. And now you have another generation coming up here that is this Yeah, you've got <laughs> uh not not only Carlos Alcaraz, but uh, this kid that Casper Ruud beat in the semis, Holger Runa, mm. he thinks highly of himself and his own abilities. Well, he was in the semifinals. Uh, <laughs> not, uh, was, isn't he Swiss, too? No, he's a Dane. Oh, it was okay. an all-Scandinavian yeah. semifinal. Goodness. Goodness. Okay. Well, but, And you think of Scandinavians as kind of mild-mannered, mellow people, yeah. and he and Ruud had some kind of aggro <laughs> and, like, a no-look handshake. Mm-hmm. Well, Runa no-look handshake did a no-look handshake to Rude, and you see Rude out. It's a great gift that was going around because you see Rude afterwards shake his shake his hand and then just kind of look at him and roll his eyes and shake his head <laughs> as he was walking. No, I'm by. here for that. Because Casper Rude seems like a, a pretty decent fellow. Yeah, I'm here for that. So were there any other matches, though, or any tennis of consequence? In I mean, I do think it's of interest that Alexander Zverev beat Carlos Alcaraz, right? Because even Medvedev, in his wonderfully snarky way, referred to him as the famous Carlos Alcaraz, right? Because he was, I mean, he was a big deal coming into this tournament, right? He And he is an outstanding player. And even I first saw him play last year at this time. And just looking at how good he is, you know, he beat Sitsipas in the second round at the U.S. Open. Um, and Sitsipas was playing pretty well. And Alcaraz beat him there in a five-setter. And then just how well he played in Madrid, how well he played at Indian Wells. I mean, just, I mean, so he can play on hard court, he can play on clay. And he, what's great about somebody like Carlos Alcaraz being so young is you can see from a year ago and then watch him now how much better he is. And, you know, he hits the ball incredibly hard and has he's got a combination of power and foot speed that's not often seen. Usually the fastest players, a guy like Leighton Hewitt doesn't hit the ball that hard. But he's got power, he's got foot speed, and then he's got this amazing killer drop shot that he understands the right time to hit it is right after he's blasted a 90-mile-an-hour forehand at you. Right, so he'll hit a ninety hundred mile an hour forehand at you, push you way back, and then just hit this delicate little drop shot. Like, I, I mean, he's just he's for his age, he's a remarkably mature player. I still think these best of five things. 
it's a it's a different thing to get used to. And Zverev, I think, showed a lot of maturity in in coming out and playing as well and as disciplined as he did and beating him. Well, and I mean, we'll see again. It's we're talking about two generations of tennis players that are it's it's been I mean, it's we always talk. They always say the big three. And obviously I get it. But let's not forget that. I think the youngest person aside from team and Medvedev who's won the slam is Marin Cilic. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Marin Cilic, though. He actually had a tournament. He made the quarters, I think. And nobody had that on their French Open bingo card. Yeah, he beat Medvedev in straight sets. Well, I mean, Medvedev doesn't really like playing on clay, so it's not like... But I don't think of Marin Cilic as a clay court Mm. player either, so... Well, what's his name? Uh, Didn't Tim Henman famously make it further here than he ever did at Wimbledon? I think he made the semifinals (laughs) at both. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Poor Tim Henman. What I'm saying is, they always talk about that big three, and I, I think that's a little unfair. I mean, Andy Murray's got, what, five? Three. Three, okay. But he lost eight finals okay, to those right. other guys. Yeah. Uh, Rinka has three. Rorinka has three, but he only made three finals, okay. right? So I don't think it's fair to Andy Murray to, to lump okay. him in with Stan Rorinka. But, you know, if we look at Nadal, we look at Federer, we look at Djokovic, you know, a lot of people, you, I've heard a lot of people saying this might be Nadal's last one. I don't think we're going to see Federer win another one. So my question to you, are any of them going to win another one? Oh, I think in about a month, Djokovic will have another one. Really? Yeah. You don't think some of these guys see an opening? You don't? Well, first of all, Medvedev not allowed to play. Oh, yeah. That's that's, that's BS. But so anyways, I don't know if you wanted to get into that. I, I don't. I all. don't. But that's we'll probably talk about that after Wimbledon anyways. But that's, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no. But Djokovic has now won, what, seven Wimbledons? Eight? I think he's won one less. I think Federer's won eight and he's and Djokovic won seven, if I'm not mistaken. So you think, you think at least Djokovic has got another one in him? Yeah. What yeah. about Nadal? I, I mean, Nadal depends on what happens with his foot, right? So apparently he's had, we sort of alluded to it in the first half. You know, you said right foot, mm-hmm. right foot, right? The, he's got this foot issue. Um, I don't know which foot it was. It just worked better been, for my story. Sure. <laughs> but he's been, he's been, uh, he's been dealing with this foot issue for a while now, I guess for most of his career. And it's kind of flared up pretty badly recently. And, he said he was hinting to about it throughout the tournament. But after the tournament was over, he kind of said, yeah, my doctor has been basically before the match injecting him with, I don't know, some combination of cortisone shots and nerve blockers, I guess, to the point where he basically couldn't feel his foot, which seems kind of dangerous for a sport that relies as much on footwork as tennis. Not just dangerous, but hard. <laughs> I mean, you have to push off of your feet to hit every shot you hit. How do you do that when you're not sure of your footing on a slippery surface like clay? So that sort of boggles my mind to begin with. Yeah. So he did say that he has he's going to have some procedure this week. And if it goes well, he'll be able to play Wimbledon. And if not, he needs major surgery. And, you know, he's talking like Andy Murray was talking before he had his hip resurfacing that his goal is to just live without pain. Not, it's not even about tennis anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just to, to live yeah. his daily life without being in pain all the time. So, Do you think Djokovic has two to three left in him? Maybe. We'll, we'll have that discussion when the time Maybe. Comes. If he's allowed to go back to Australia, maybe. According to current U.S. law, I don't think he's allowed into this country <laughs> anymore. So some of it might depend on... 
we're in a weird time where the Russians and Belarusians aren't allowed to go to England and Novak Djokovic might not be allowed to go to the United yes. States and Australia anymore. It may, maybe Rafa would win more because he's the only one that's allowed in every country. I was, I was about to say, yeah. This is, or maybe Federal will get one last shot because Rafa will have one <laughs> last foot. And so, I mean, I, I would be very surprised if I ever saw Federer play a tennis match that was that had ATP ranking points on offer anymore. He bought a dog, though. Oh, well, good. For he him. announced that yeah. during the Rafa Novak quarterfinal. <laughs> that was like when <laughs> when the Red Sox and the Rockies were in the World Series and game one, the Yankees announced signing Alex Rodriguez to some <laughs> $300 million deal. Right. It's like, OK, come on, read the room. Well, but this wasn't even about tennis. I, it was just, uh, hey, we got a dog. Yeah, well, yeah. It's a cute dog. Well, people were paying attention. That's time to tell. <laughs> so – this is kind of the big thing I wanted to ask you because you're going to know a lot more about this than I will. And I don't want to be old man yelling at cloud wondering why the kids don't do things the way I used to do them or mm-hmm. the tennis players I used to do them. Famously, Steffi Graf retired sub the age of 30. There's, I think she was just she or, was 29. Yeah. But yeah. as you have pointed out before, she'd been playing since she was like 13. No, no. Right. But she didn't retire due to physical. She retired because well, her no, dad she had, was a jackass. She and, had a hamstring injury. But it gave her a convenient. I mean, she. let's be honest. Sure. Steffi Graf could have probably come back and won another few. Grand I mean, Slam the year titles. she retired, she won the French Open and made the final mm-hmm. at Wimbledon, lost to Davenport. But then I think. Later on the hardcourt season, she had a hamstring injury and said, you know, what? I can either rehab this injury and come back or, you know what, I met this nice boy mm-hmm. and maybe I'm going to have a family. Right. Well, so that's that's decades ago. There's obviously all the stories with Jennifer Capriati, who just yeah. was a wreck for Tracy a long time. Had Tracy Austin. Uh, Capriati, as a matter of fact, I still hear today that she is not quite right. Yes. Yeah. So there's something with women's tennis, and it could be age, it could be uh, the, like the young age they're at. But I guess the thing I want to ask you is we're seeing really now, so you get Ash Barty retires. And I don't know how much of a, a force she would have been in this tournament, but she was the number one player in the well, world. Well, she won it in 2019, yes, yeah. so, so she can obviously play on big, clay, yeah. right? But she retires top of her game. Yeah. You know, then you have Naomi Osaka. Justine Ennett retired when she yes. was number one in the world. Yeah. You had uh, then you had Naomi Osaka, who I know she's never going to really be much in this tournament per se. But, I mean, I don't want to say never. But. Well, okay, but she it's not a shock that no. she goes out. But after she goes down there, she has that terrible New York crowd when she won her first title. Yeah. But then she became almost this like stone cold killer level, and then she's getting out of these tournaments early. You know, she was one of the people out early in this tournament. She was out, I, I don't want to say early, but she's not making semifinals or quarterfinals in these other tournaments. And she's been very open about her mental health. Yeah. What are we doing? What is happening? I think being any kind of professional athlete in any sport requires an enormous amount of commitment and dedication. And I think that I think that's true in any sport, right? I think you go down to the Reds clubhouse and the 25th best guy on that team puts in a lot of hours just to be there, right? In the gym, on the field, whatever. Tennis has the distinction of being an individual sport, right? So you are by yourself a lot. Now you have your training team around you, but when you're out there on the court, it's just you, particularly in singles, right? Also, I think tennis has a sport... I don't know if there is any other sport that requires as much 
far-flung travel. Most other sports, particularly team sports, they're confined to one country or one continent. And tennis is played on five continents, <laughs> right? And it's played from January till November. Yes, you can say the top players are millionaires, right? Nadal, Federer, those guys might even be, Serena might be billionaires at this point. I don't know. Even with that kind of cash, I think it's a difficult life. Pete Sampras famously said that he thinks buying a private jet added three years to his career. But let's say you're number 20 in the world. Let's say you're number 50 in the world. Let's say you're number 80 in the but world. But we're not even talking about that. We're talking about women that are top five. Yeah. Yeah. But I still think it's – so I fully understand if somebody like Ash Barty says, you know what, I like playing tennis. But to maintain this level, I don't know that I want to make the personal sacrifices to do that anymore. I get it. I get it. And I don't begrudge anybody that. It's interesting that we're talking about this because the dominant number one on the women's tour now famously travels full time with a sports psychologist. Maybe that's not a coincidence. Coco Goff, I've always thought I was really, really nervous when I first saw her at 15. But they they talked to her parents, they talked to her, and she always seemed remarkably well-adjusted. And even this tournament, she's been saying, I'm playing better because I'm not putting as much pressure on myself. Because she graduated from high school and she said that it sort of taught her there are other things in life than playing tennis. And I am not just a tennis player. I am a person and tennis is a thing that I do, not a thing that I am, which – and. I don't know if those were her, her exact words, but that was kind of the subtest. And I think that's Schwantek talking about going to college, right? That's it shows that it shows that they understand that there is something else in their lives outside of this, even at a young age. I mean, Schwantek's still 21. She just turned 21. She's still pretty young. Goff, 18. And Osaka, with being an activist and everything, maybe she kind of has this thought there's something else in in life the williams sisters famously i think the reason they had careers as long as they did is because they went and did other things in the interim they didn't focus all of their energy yeah they produced a movie recently i think it won some awards i can't I, remember i think the star of it slapped somebody and oh, got in trouble say. but uh, uh yeah <laughs> Tom Cruise? No, Tom Cruise <laughs> i thought they produced that new top, top gun, gun movie <laughs> No, I, I, I mean, I honestly don't know. I, like I said, I think it's a tough life for anybody. And it's, I think it's, a, it's probably a lonely life. And, you know, certainly if you're a professional athlete, especially one that turns pro at 16, 17, 18, you, you haven't really had a normal childhood, right? And there's probably some parents that are better at it than others. You know, Nadal always seems pretty well adjusted. I mean, actually, of the big three or big four, right, they they all seem reasonably well adjusted as people. I mean, Djokovic I mean, Djokovic's has, dad is very, very pro. Pro-Serbia? Uh, yes, very pro. To a disturbing degree, right? <laughs> well, look, um, it is not any difference between him and the governor of Florida wanting to write American history from a certain point of view. So come on. Well, but Nadal... And Murray particularly seem well-adjusted. And Federer seems as well-adjusted as a guy like Roger Federer could yeah, as be. A, as a sports sociopath could be. Because that's what he is. But you have to be to yeah, play at that level, that, don't you? Look, Roger Federer, in a lot of ways, is like a less angry version of Michael Jordan. 
They're the same kind of person, though. <laughs> I, I think Djokovic is more like a Michael Jordan. Oh, right? I don't know. I, I um, just, I just... But no, like I said, those four guys seem reasonably well-adjusted, but none of them, I think, are activists, right? So Goff famously wrote and gun violence on a camera, which shouldn't be a controversial statement. Isn't in most countries, apparently is in this one. And then Egan. Why didn't she write and multiple doors violence? <laughs> I, I, I kid. I wish yeah. I did not kid. And then Shiantek actually has, even during the final, was wearing a Ukrainian flag ribbon on her cap. Now she's Pol she's Polish, so they are well, yeah. you know, <laughs> they, right there. They they know which way the road, the wind blows. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But she was wearing that and somebody was asking her about it. And she's like, well, it seems like everybody was doing it for a while. And then it just kind of people forgot about it. But this is still happening yeah. and it still matters and we still need to be paying attention. So it's kind of refreshing to see the young women athletes. You know, you don't see Sitsipas. You see Sitsipas making his weird YouTube videos. You see Zverev, I don't know, beating his girlfriend or whatever he's yeah. going to do. You, you which don't see which the one of them raps? Rubilev? Shapovalov. Or Shapovalov. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you don't see any of the men doing that, right? But the women all seem to have this this kind of sense about them, which is um, which is interesting. Before you leave me for the next month and leave me, my, I mean, like, go up the stairs. but Right. Cause this we is have, the first time we've recorded in your basement hovel my, here. I know, in my, my new, my new uh, professional recording studio. Yep. Before we do... Go, because uh, there's a quick turnaround here. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is, I think this is as fast. We go from Australia to France, which is months. Yeah. And then it's weeks. It's three weeks. <laughs> yeah. There used to only be two weeks. Yeah, that's right. Way, I remember they changed that three up. Now. So we go straight into Wimbledon. Straight now. into the, the manicured the one that really lawns of... The one that really matters that people always tell me where so, I'm like, I think except it's Except this year, there's not even any ranking points for it. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about a lot of the stupid things that have to do with Wimbledon when we do that one. But, I mean, I don't know that I consider it stupid, and I think there's okay, an argument well, to be made both ways, but we'll save yeah. that for another month. Going out on a more of a positive note here, give me give me a couple of names, and uh, we'll start with the men here. I want you to give me, you already said Djokovic, but I want you to give me at least two names of somebody that's not named Djokovic or Nadal. And you could even include Federer if your heart desires, but I don't think he's playing anyways. No, he's not going <laughs> to play. I would say Medvedev, but he's not allowed to go. Which is kind of weird because Ben's rankings Does, are so weird. So, doesn't Medvedev so Nadal, like live in Florida or something? I think he lives in Spain. Oh, okay. <laughs> I could be wrong about that. Yeah. So Nadal won the Australian Open and the French Open and is not number one. How the hell does that happen? I don't really understand that. But yeah, so I would have said Medvedev, although I... So Berrettini made the final last year, but hasn't been that great this year. He might be injured. I'm not sure. Who else can play on? You know who can kind of play on grass is Marin Cilic. So maybe we'll go okay. with Marin John Isner is always a threat to do something at yeah. Wimbledon. Don't they, have, actually don't they have tie breaks now, turn. though? <laughs> well, because they have what, what I call the Isner rule. Yeah, yeah. Is They didn't institute it after he played a 70-68 match. But they did institute it the year after he played a 26-24 yeah. match, which caused the women's final to be delayed. Uh, yeah. So that was. I just need somebody to root for against Djokovic. That's all I'm looking for. You really want to root for John Isner? No, I don't. It's kind of a trouble. Yeah, I say I don't. 
I don't know, maybe Zverev, but do you really want to root for him either? I think he's out, though. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I mean, maybe Alcaraz will learn to play on clay. Maybe. I mean, here's the thing. If Nadal is healthy, guy can play on grass. He can. He's won a pair of Wimbledon titles. He went five sets with Djokovic in the semis a couple of years ago. He went five sets in the semis with Djokovic right after the Isner 26-24 match. So he, he can play on grass if he's if his foot thing works. God, who so, else? Shapovalov played very well last year at Wimbledon. Yeah, I mean. Well, on the other side, give me three. But I don't believe in Denis Shapovalov's ability to hold it. To, he can play an amazing match. I don't believe he can play seven. So women, give me three women that I should be betting my crypto on. Man, I don't know. Venus Williams? <laughs> she, she's won five. She hasn't won one in a while, though. <laughs> God, who? I I mean, I don't know if Shviantek is, you know. Oh, Jabur? I mean, we didn't talk much about Jabur, but she can play on grass. She can play on grass. Her game translates pretty decently. Um, I would expect her to make a run, especially after having an extra couple of weeks to train for it. Man, Coco can play on grass, too. I mean, she made the fourth round her first time out. So Coco can play on grass. Angie Kerber? Getting up there in years, but has, I think, won it once yeah, and been a finalist. I think she's got one big plate and one little plate. Carolina Pliskova made the final last year. Yeah. I well, don't know. we'll see. We'll see if Shriantek can come out and play on grass. I, I don't know that I've ever actually I mean, seen her play. She'll be on the grass. number one player. So she, you know what? She is like so far ahead right now that she will be the number. No- the number one player <laughs> i think through the summer <laughs> pretty easily even if she didn't play anymore okay well that's the 2022 version of lay open de france francais i think but you know what i learned while i was staring at my computer roland garros is named for an aviator i told you that last year he probably it's did. like a world war one mm-hmm. fighter pilot you know it's one of those things that when i see i'm like wow that's interesting and then i just forget because <laughs> i'll probably come back and say the same thing again but uh, anyway so tina if people need to contact you on your vast vast tennis knowledge where are they going to find you uh, you can find me on twitter at tina Seedsing. and like you said earlier about ukraine i mean people know that that stuff yeah it is still going on it's not gone yeah and because we have a terrible mass shooting that moves it from the news. And now, and I just, look, I want to give a personal shout out to Matthew McConaughey because, look, people are going to have to, he went to the White House and gave a speech and talked specifically about some of these children and who they were. This is how it becomes real. So it's great we can sit back and talk about this stuff. And like I told Ty a couple of weeks ago, people aren't coming to hear me tell you about these things, but I still have a microphone. So I'm going to take at least two minutes to talk about it while I talk about other stuff. With all that being said, we thank you for your ears. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast? Remember, we are here every Saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. And that's it, Tina. Usually with Ty, I have some stupid banter about some stupid thing that the stupid two of us talk about. But you're not a stupid person. So thank you for joining you me. You have smart banter. <laughs> I can't do smart You go ahead and talk. <laughs> I can't do smart banter. I'm surrounded. Look at this desk. It's filled with electronic stuff and toys. You got your pickle rick back there somewhere. Yeah. Well, not pickle rick. That's tiny rick. Don't you have a pickle no. rick somewhere? I thought you had a pickle no. rick. No, that's for the incels and the really crazy ones. You know, tiny rick. That's for our school guys. 
I also, Is it? Yep. I also got Prince. Well, of course you have Prince. I think I bought both of those for you, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, probably. Well, we thank you for that, too. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Bye. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.